Hi, this is Dave Shu. For those of you who don't know, I'm a family physician, and once a week I do a podcast called Medical Dads with my co-host, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician from Ottawa, Ontario. Stu and I talk about all things parenting, from the ridiculous to the sublime. So check it out and make it part of your week. Now available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, what about you, Kenny? I said, well, you know, I really don't like this stuff. Like, I I'm, I hate it being in the office. I, I don't like it. It's bad. Like, do I enjoy accounting economics? Maybe. But do I want to do it? No, of course not. And then she said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, well, maybe, maybe like I like to, to teach, right? So can I come and see what you do in the classroom? Hi, welcome to Unique Stories, a podcast where we talk to people about the stories that make up their lives, where they've been, what they've done, where they are heading, and more. I'm your host, David Shu. Thanks for listening. All right, we're back for another episode of Unique Stories, and we're here for part three of our conversation with Mr. Kenny Ho, business teacher at St. Elizabeth Catholic School in Vaughan, and he's been sharing with us the story of his journey from Hong Kong to Toronto and his early years at St. Max, and now we're here for the much-anticipated episode three of our trilogy of Kenny's Life. Thank you, David. It's always a pleasure for me to share my stories uh, with audience out there. I think uh, you shared with me that there are actually listeners out there who uh, who thinks that my my our, our conversation is quite uh, unique and entertaining. There are, there are. I even got some feedback for you. All right. Let me know. I, I heard back. I heard back from an elementary school classmate of ours, Mr. Felix Wong, who specifically contradicts you and says you did not start elementary school after March break in grade four. He thinks you started in the fall sometime like in October or November, and he's convinced about this. So to Felix, hi, Felix. I think I think I I think it was uh, March break because I remembered walking in after March break, because I could still remember the ice that I stepped on. I was playing the- now, To be fair, this is Canada. Ice appears in the fall too. Like right now there's ice outside. <laughs> That's not a good enough like scientific proof. Uh, so- And, and I, to be fair, if you listen to our episode clearly, I also thought you came early in the year. It seems strange to me that you would have only appeared at the very, very end of grade four. Right, you must have only very limited memories of Mrs. Morrison then. So you have to understand, if I had been there since grade four, um, I wouldn't have had the uh, struggles of trying to make friends because probably every every um, student who was there in, at the beginning would kind of make friends. But I think I did not come during that uh, beginning phase. And I came afterwards, so I didn't make any friends at the time. So that's why I, I think I, I think I remember because of that. You know what? I did leave. Uh, uh, no, I did. I can validate. I did leave around March break because I said goodbye to my friends at Clifford Public School during the new year because I I started at Clifford Public School in grade four. Uh, together with a bunch of, uh, again, Chinese gang. Uh, and uh, I had to say goodbye. And I was so sad that I was leaving that school because we made such a great connection. 
um, obviously speaking our native language. We made a lot of uh, genuine connection and I missed them at the time a lot because I was moving away from a place of comfort uh, coming then to uh, St. Maximilian Colby. It was during March break. It was halfway through the year. So he says, I mean, you know what? You could be right, but we're just going to throw that one out there for our audience. That Well, for our know- audience out there, if you remember Kenny Ho uh, and the time that I came to St. Maximilian Colby, please let me know. Maybe you have a bit, <laughs> bit memory of this Asian boy coming to the class and didn't know what he was doing and didn't speak a word of English. And that's who I am or who I was at the time. I mean, actually, this is a thing. Like when we talk about people's stories and people's lives, it's actually interesting how often we start to forget things, you know, like, you know, he swears that this happened at a certain time. You swear it happened at a certain time. I think it happened at a different time. You know, life moves on for all of us. And we don't really remember the exact chronology a lot of time, these little histories. It's interesting. Well, it is also interesting that you say, because uh, at the same time, there are some unique uh, instances that you remember vividly. And uh, so uh, as the educator that I am, um, when I speak to students all the time, or whenever I approach a student or uh, give advice to a student, I have to be careful and be cautious in what I say, because a little thing that I maybe have said uh, out of the blue may impact him or her in his or her lifetime. <laughs> now, so that's... Do, you, do you pick your words with such precision and care when you're at home with your wife? <laughs> well, of course not. At home, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think I can speak uh, the way that I would speak to you on this podcast. I think it will be, uh, it will be uh, beeped most of the time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think uh, over time, uh, as we grow, um, we learn to speak uh, respectfully um, to other individuals. Who are not in our family. <laughs> well, maybe not in the family, maybe at the household we speak um, uh, casually, but uh, to other family members and to other relatives, uh, I, I've learned to speak respectfully because um, you have to be careful with the words that you say. Sometimes you never know what they are going through at the time. So, uh, and as well as students or family or friends or whatnot. And that's why in the tone that I speak, usually it's more um, careful. Mm. Uh, But with family, of course, sometimes I just burst out, right? Especially when I yell at my children, obviously. So let's get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. We're going to talk, because in the last episode, we talked about your elementary school life and we finished it with ending off our grade eight at St. Maximum Colby. And now we're going to ship you off to Braybuff College School. It's a Catholic boys high school in North York, Ontario that we attended together from like 1993 to 1997. And uh, no, 1992, September. Okay, okay fine. 90, the academic year, 92, 93, graduated in 1997. And I'll tell you, I was really looking forward to talking to you about St. Max, but this whole Braybuff chapter of our lives is a harder one for me to talk to because it was talk about because it was not a particularly great period of my life. I'll tell you that. Well, uh, in reverse, then um, my experience in at the elementary school level was um, okay, but then the high school experience for me was more positive. Mm. Um, I made a lot of friends uh, during that time, um, and they still are uh, continuously uh, up to today. Still, some of the friends that I continue to uh, speak to 
Now, I find it interesting that you would sort of frame your whole high school experience based on your friendships. I mean, you're a high school teacher. Shouldn't students be framing their memories of their high school experience based on what they learned or what they accomplished? But no. Uh, great, great, uh, great analysis. And then uh, to that uh, thought, um, you have to understand or audience has to uh, audience have to understand that most of the time that you are in high school, it's with your friends. So mm. they became your second family. So they became the people who you talk to most of the time. And uh, if you think about and understand the culture of Brebeuf, uh College School, um, we were very cliquey. We were like the Chinese Asian boys were a whole. I have to say that for audience out there that are listening, we have several groups and obviously like all um, uh, situation, like, like at work too, there are many uh, different groupings. Um, so I hung around uh, with actually multiple groupings. I know there are some that only stuck to one. I kind of hung around with multiple groupings of these friends. And um, it was a positive experience for me. I mean, let, let me describe what Bray Buff was like at that time. So Braybuff was a school of maybe 1,500 to 2,000 like kids, that. something like that. And it's a Catholic school. It had had a pretty good reputation. Prior- Actually, well, yes, it was a very good reputation for an all-boys school because uh, I still remember, and I'll share this story. I, I still remember in elementary school, uh, my mom used to threaten me, like literally threaten me. Oh, you know what, Kenny? If you didn't start study hard, Bray Buff would not take you. You know what? <laughs> in retrospect, that was not that was a good threat because I didn't know that. Um, uh, well, first of all, there wasn't any entrance uh, exam or smart that was associated with going to the high school. It is a feeder school, so no matter what you get, or if you were even suspended for a hundred times, you still can get to uh, free education at the secondary level. Anyway, um, I that that was that was. Um, my experience in, in um, from elementary to secondary. So then uh, we were also very cliquey because, uh, or we, you can say we were uh, collective as a group because most of us, um, and if you live in Toronto, you should maybe, I'll tell you a little bit about the geographic part of it. Um, every, uh, every one of us, uh, most of us took the bus, took the Steel's bus, 53, number 53 was our bus. And uh, every now and then we would even see each other um, on our way to uh, school on the bus. And then obviously we would fight our way on the bus when we are going on our way home. So that relationship is not, not only uh, during the school time, it's also after hour when we are on the bus together um, for that duration of time, because most of us live in Scarborough and Revolve is uh, located in North York. I mean, yes, you and I grew up in Scarborough and it was probably by bus. I, I'm going to say it was almost an hour and 10 minutes to get home. Uh, yes, you're right. It right? was. Like you had to take a long bus ride and then transfer. And, you know, a couple, some of us had to change buses. Some of us would like, sometimes I would go up the other direction to avoid traffic and then take a subway ride and then come down on a different bus. Like I've, I wow. Did, I, I didn't know you took the other way. I, the only time that I think uh, I took the other way was, uh, were, was when, when we wanted a seat. Remember exactly. the bus yeah. stop? You wanted to go back up to Finch yes. Station and get a seat. Well, I, think, I, I, think, I didn't get that far. <laughs> I, I walked up to uh, that street, whatever that street was, up the hill. 
But it is interesting that you mentioned this bus ride because actually the bus ride is not actually part of school, but it is a very memorable part of high school. If you ask me to think about what my high school experience was like, it involved two and a half hours a day of commuting. And right? it was true. And those relationships were also made uh, at the bus level um, because uh, sometimes the uh, maybe we have listeners out here who are a little bit older or younger than us in our year. We actually, or I actually made friends with others who I often saw on the bus. And um, I maybe, you know, said hi or talked to them, friends of friends or whatever. So it's not only the circle of friends that are uh, in our grade, but also the individuals who are not above or below our grade, who we also associate with. Hmm. That became the relationship, right? Uh, it's the indirect relationship that we created because of, um, our bus ride because of the TTC <laughs> rocket bus now, ride. Now at that time, early nineties, there's more and more people coming from Hong Kong. So if, you know, we were to compare, you came in like 1987 and then between 87 and 93, more and more people are streaming into Canada from Hong Kong. And they're all, every one of them is showing up at Braybuff college school because when I get to Braybuff, I see a huge Chinese population in our school. Right? Yeah, most like, of them are. Like if I, I mean, I'd have to go through our yearbook and count, but I would say at least half the class was Asian. And of those Asians, 95% of them are Hong Kong. Correct. And ladies and gentlemen, that is why Kenny Ho had such a great time in high school. <laughs> because he because found I, Hong yes. Kong again. <laughs> and that's correct because uh, David over here spoke Mandarin. So he was <laughs> not fitting in. I spoke Cantonese, <laughs> along with other people, along with the 95% that also spoke Cantonese. So our language of um, communication at the time uh, was, I would say majority half and half. Uh, we could do uh, bilingual, and there were times that when we spoke to each other bilingually, um, mm -hmm. sometimes like broken Chinese, broken English, whatever that we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and we were very proficient with uh, in that. So we communicated, and I know you obviously did not fit the bigger picture <laughs> where nobody understood Mandarin at the time. Right. So still, the only... still nobody spoke Mandarin in, in Toronto. There's no immigrants from mainland China yet. At the time, yes. Yes. And it, so it was a very odd school because there was a lot of Cantonese being spoken at the school, which was this whole, like, this whole... Second uh, Hong Kong. Yeah, this whole right. parcel of the school that I could not enter that clique, right? Yes, and uh, it, it's kind of interesting to note that uh, language is such a barrier uh, mm. language is culture is such a barrier to um, to friendship making making friends um, because most of us there obviously share the uh, Chinese culture well I would say Hong Kong culture mm -hmm. with the music with the I don't know the games the the movie star uh, admiration for for them like yes cards if you remember what those were um they were trading yes cards the <laughs> movie star like cars that you used to trade with each other the cds that you used to own um and buy and trade and copied from cd to to a tape um those things are um is what uh bonded us together i i think <laughs> it it definitely did but it also splits people apart into groups right correct so it was not an easy place to go to school because especially it had a reputation also, I think in, as being an all guys school and sometimes all guys schools can do this of being a place that, you know, where only the strong survive. Right. So it wasn't a place that, you know, if you were different, like we talked about this in the last episode, if you were different, you came to our elementary school, you would get ostracized. 
this type of thing got even more magnified in high school, right? Uh, if you didn't and... fit into these big groups, then you were in trouble. And there were people in our school that were clearly outcast. And you are probably right uh, in bringing that point up because I was within the group. So I didn't like, I wasn't one of those that, you know, came later on or joined the Brave Up at a later time that didn't mm. fit in. And so in retrospect, I feel really um, awful because they couldn't fit in because I fit it in. So I, I didn't uh, notice the discrimination or the uh, separation between the main group versus the other. Well, but if the, you think about it, they could have had. The funny thing is if you even oh. think about you and me, right? We actually knew each other all through elementary school, but we weren't that close, right? Right, we weren't because again, the language was the barrier and right. the, uh, groupings was also a barrier. Right, and then we get to high school. I probably said 10 words to you in all of the five years oh, of high I school. I think it was less. <laughs> hey, <laughs> like you're, you you're talking about this bus ride. I don't think I ever saw you on the bus. We must've taken different buses. But yeah, we were not close, but that just goes to show that it was a school where even people with relatively common experiences and you know, with a history, you just end up drifting apart into these cliques, right? And it just and, happens naturally. Right. And so um, for me, it was a very positive experience because those individuals, um, uh, they, they, we were a group and they welcomed me or I, I would say welcomed each other because we, we shared uh, all the struggles or all the successes that we had at the mm -hmm. school. Um, and that's why we got along. Now, because I didn't speak Cantonese, and I was pretty Canadianized, and I was also left out of this Cantonese group, I was part of the other half of the school that kind of had this resentment of the Chinese-speaking towards uh, Towards students. the Hong Kong, Hong yeah. Kong and these people, right? Eh? Yeah. Like not personal resentment, yes. but resentment that this large group exists and they don't make any effort. I mean, I guess from my vantage point, it would be like, they don't make any effort to speak English. They're deliberately casting themselves as separate. So, you know, screw them we're going to be our own group on the other side. We're not going to go out of our way to bridge that gap. So that existed. And I think there has to be some jealousy that goes with it too, because you have to think about uh, our, uh, our number is, it's uh, the, by, by the number, we have a lot of power, right? So in the cafeteria, if you remember, most of us in that group like knew each other. Right. So we were um, a volume of kids that some of us, or not me personally, but some of the group um, individuals in Hong Kong, they were pretty well off. And so the things that they brought to the table, like, you know, nicer cars or a great CD player or all these uh, CD discs that were like $20 Canadian each and they bought like a whole stack of them to show off mm -hmm. or the computer games that they had or the systems that they had. Uh, it was a differentiation between the, um, I would say, um, the Canadians versus the group of Chinese Hong Kong students. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like at Brave Buff that you fit in right away? Like it was pretty seamless. It was different than elementary school. That oh, way? for me, a hundred percent. We kind of stuck together over time because in each of the classes, I knew at least one or two of the friend group that I, I had. And so we became friends uh, all along, grade nine and but then grade 10. As a high school student, you're more comfortable and you're, you got your group of friends. Did you ever feel though that you wanted to be part of the other half of the school? The, like the, the more mainstream? Like with, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I don't know if it's mainstream. It's, it might even be the minority. Yeah, it might be the minority, right? Did I ever? Um, I, think, uh, I think I may have wanted to, but it was very 
maybe difficult for me to um, to penetrate into mm -hmm. that group. Um, and sometimes at the time, uh, in retrospect, it might be a so the Hong Kong group may feel that I would betray them mm. for going to the other group, and that's why it had never occurred to me to um, connect. Betrayal. With, this sounds like a mobster movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is right. It is, uh, um, you know, human relationships, uh, socialization. Yeah. It it is kind of like that. Like, what if you walk to the other side? Well, as I say, what could, what if you cross the line, right? You do you also are you like betraying them and now, whatever? Now, did you ever have like one question that I'm curious is when we started grade nine, we had heard all these things about Bray Buff. Like this is a scary place. You got to be careful. You're you're gonna get beat up, right? You don't don't step out of line. You know, keep your head down. I remember being told these things as I was going into Bray Buff, and then as I was there, I saw some things. You know that kind of reinforced this in my early years. Did you ever have any experience where you were kind of feeling fearful of going to high school or, or saw stuff there that made you kind of leery of the place? Great question. And, and that's a great segue. I don't know if you planned this or you planned this out, but it's a great segue. So it is true that people are former students or current, uh, we have former students or current students at Bripoff at the time would say something like, oh, you know, there are people that smoke, there are people in the gang, there are people like, you know, who would always walk around or skip school and have their pants like, you know, wrong in the wrong place or whatever. Um, <laughs> there had, there is, there, there was obviously, and uh, at, uh, so I won't reveal any of the names because I might not know them anyway, but um, there, there were. And the reason why I was not scared of the other group, which were more gangy group, was that these friends that I made, we, we all like stuck together. So I know that as a collective, we were protected. If you understand what I mean, right? If we walked out together collectively, taking that 53 bus, we would not get beat up because why would they go against the big crowd? So it's like small little fishes getting together and the shark won't, won't be bothered with it because you're not. But it did occur to me that because at the time I, I also know like individuals who we're not gonna name that walked all the way out to the front and they were called the smokers corner, right? And so within the Chinese community, we also know who those uh, bad kids were. And I try to not associate with them or our grouping, the friends that I, the, the people that I mentioned um, before, um, we, we stuck together and we knew that by going to the other side mm -hmm. or the other area, it's not good. So we didn't, and okay. they kept us in line Our friend group kept us in line. I mean, I think part of it is anytime, like, you know, young kids are moving on to a, like a higher level school, you always hear these like urban legend yes. rumors about how scary the place is going to be. And when you're a kid, you don't know what's real and what's not right. And it all sounds plausible to you at the time. In hindsight, is Braveoff, you know, you know, I guess is any of these high schools a really scary place to go? Not necessarily. Probably not, right? But at the same time, we do read in the news, like even today, there are all sorts of weird violent things happening in schools, right? School even today, probably schools are less safe than they were when we went, right? So one of my main things about that school was they did not really foster an environment that really helped the little people out. You know, it was really, I really felt like it was a sink or swim environment, right? There was not much help 
if you couldn't fit into the mainstream and you got lucky because you know there's this huge crowd of people from Hong Kong and I was pretty lucky that I could find a group to fit into right but it wasn't really a place where you know you just clung to your identity as long as you could and just tried to survive like for me it was like sports you know I found a bunch of like I could always relate to people because we could talk about last night's games right or Mm -hmm. this weekend's football games and that was enough to get me through five years of my life just talking about that and you know what this kind of gets me uh where uh I am now and more um cognizant of um the behavior of students and you know I I think uh over over time you probably share here uh, within that I share a lot of passion in trying to educate kids and trying to uh, embrace all the kids that are at our school. And in fact, the sink or swim um, analogy that you made is, is actually true at any high school or even at a high school now today, that there are also cliques uh, out there. We see it as adults, we see it. And I really have a heart to those or the individual or the individuals who you know can never associate with uh, anyone. And uh, some you see them physically too, like uh, during lunchtime or whatnot. They are um, by themselves. So uh, a student is sitting alone, like in the corner, playing or pretending to play with the phone, where he is really lonely. And can we combat that? At the school, we have we have many programs that will uh, probably encourage older kids to play with them. But in reality, the human instinct is you know you you tend to stick to those that you're comfortable with, and mm-hmm. if you are an outcast my heart goes out to those. And so um, for the audience that are listening, if you or your child, or if you have know someone who, who maybe is currently struggling with making friends, uh, it is authentically true that, you know, it is quite hard if the person, especially if the person physically does not look like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what a political word is, like, like regular other, like other students, maybe the person has shorter hair or long hair or braces or, you know, have a tattoo, uh, not well, tattoo, in, but like in high school, in high school, it could just be a small thing. Yeah. Right? It could be like someone spread a story about them. That's not true. Yes. But right? in fact, those little stories, it's even more heartbreaking or more um, critical to look for uh, because it might even like hinder a student from graduating or to being successful in school because inherently the student is uh, indirectly um, affected with that. And he or she is always thinking about that, you know, detriment of not being able mm-hmm. to find friends. And that, you know, it's, it is heartbreaking. Right. I mean, the problem is that we spend a lot of time in society talking about things like bullying, right? Because bullying is like a very concrete thing where we can identify that there's a villain, right? There's a bully that's yes. attacking the student. Obviously, the bully is the bad guy and the student's the good guy. But what you and I are talking more about is this idea of there's no bully, right? It's just the culture of the place is isolating this person. If you look around the lunchroom, there's no one teasing the kid outwardly, right? There's just no one reaching out to bridge yeah. that gap. Oh, you, right? you know, you made a very good point. Like bullying, I think is, is obviously it was talked about for many years, like zero tolerance with bullying, whatever, mm-hmm. but bullying can also be indirect as well. So if you see in a group of individuals and you just don't talk to the person, you're not really bullying, you're just ignoring. Right. So and you can't it. fault them for yeah, it. You, yes, <laughs> you cannot. So our society has to kind of wake up in that, okay, so um, if you are a true Catholic or a true Christian or whatever that you believe, uh, what would you do in that situation if you were that? And so sometimes we teach students to take a step back and you would never be affected unless you are personally affected. 
Mm. Uh, and that's, I think, the message out there to many parents out there or many um, bigger brothers and sisters out there or who are actually parents who are educating your child now have constant communication with him or her so that uh, you know what exactly is going on in their lives. Except they don't tell you at that Except age. Except they don't tell you. That's a problem, too. <laughs> that's another uh, PhD dissertation that I have to write about and to talk about. Well, one of my things you touched on is like we were going to this school and this school like to purport itself as being one of the top schools in Toronto, right? Academically and espousing values of, you know, Catholicism, Christianity. But then at the same time, I felt they didn't do anything to address the fact that it was basically a culture of, you know, like testosterone fueled all guys school culture, the strong survive, the rugby players are at the top, the Chinese skinny kids are at the <laughs> bottom. Right. But fortunately, there's like 50,000 of the Chinese kids, so they can sort of stay afloat. Like, I don't know, like, did you feel like you could fit in and accomplish everything in, that the school had to offer? Like you could be class president or you could do all those things? I don't think so. Like, I didn't so feel like I could accomplish those things. In, in that respect, um, probably not, because um, based on talking about uh, race and culture and uh, 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 ethnic background and stuff like that here, you can never be, or I don't think in my mind, you can never be the mainstream. Yet, I, what I found that, that uh, was successful at Brebeuf was um, because of the grouping that I talked about, um, all the uh, friends that I made so far were very genuine. Mm. And... Um, and sometimes when you hang around with these genuine individuals, they are meant to be your true friends. Like they didn't want anything else from you. They, they want you to obviously, um, you know, share the same thing. I remember um, there are some people um, that I went to school with and high school. And like, we remember we had the periods, like we had day one, day two kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I, I still remember, like, we were there to help each other out. Like, we weren't there to, like, hey, I got a better mark than you. But we collectively move forward, right? We collectively help each other out. And what I mean by that is, for those uh, listeners out there, do you remember, like, when you had, like, a day one and then you had the test? You would actually call the guy and he would give you all the answers <laughs> or all the questions that was asked or all the questions that were asked that, if you knew that the teacher gave you another version, you knew that those questions were not asked. And right. so this, this is coming straight out of the mouth of Mr. Kenny Ho yes. from St. Elizabeth Catholic <laughs> <Yes>. High School. <laughs> yes. And, you know, in reality, and, and you know what, we can talk about all this uh, distant learning and all these uh, cheating on texting and, and stuff like that later on. But at the time, it was for the better good. Like it was for, it was non-competitive. Non so you want the other student, you, you want your friend to do as well. I remember one time and I have to mention like uh, the guy, like uh, Gordon, I think uh, many of you know him, like I uh, still friends with him. He still like texts me and stuff like that. I remember one time, like I was struggling in, uh, in Storino, uh, Mr. Storino's algebra class. It was so, actually, you know what I was, I think you were in my class, Dave, or I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember. Anyway, it's possible. <laughs> Anyway, so I was struggling. I sat beside him and things like that. And uh, I was struggling at the time. So I wasn't, at the time, I wasn't a true math genius. He was, like Gordon was. So I remember one time, it was very touching because like I was struggling in the class. I'm like, hey, Gordon, like, you know, he had, he had him period three and I had, I had the class period four. So he was one class earlier than mine. And so I remember like one day, like I was really struggling the night before. I was asking questions. I still couldn't get it. And so I remember one time walking 
uh, from the porta pack to the to the um, to the classroom. I'm like, I had my head down, I had my bag up, and then like he actually, I remember, I don't know if he remember, he actually went down to find me to give me a piece of paper that had all the answers or all the questions on it. So then he would tell me like to go to the bathroom or something like that to walk in late and then study and flip the book and whatever to get it right so that he helped me out with that course. And so that's just what I'm talking about. These are genuine friends. I also remember, like I'm, I remember, and I, if Clement is, if Clement Chung is listening to this, uh, I have to award you with it. I remember I called him many times like to like go over some answers and he will always take my phone call in grade nine. I still remember because it was vivid for me. This, this um, sounds like, again, descending into the level of the mobster movie right blood brothers right bonded by crime yes yes yes. so i remember i still remember because he had i don't know if you remember um antonio santos he was Mm. the religion teacher so he had the class the day before and most of the time the class happened that his test was the day before. So sometimes I would call him up or I would see him in the in the cafeteria and stuff like that. And I would say, hey, like what was on it? And then he told me everything. Like what was on it? You have to know this. Like sometimes you have to, like, I, I know that he, he, it was not intentional for him not to reveal all the answers or all the questions because sometimes you do so, forget, like you write it and you forget, but he told me all the questions and I excelled in that excelled <laughs> yes I, I, I did not use the word cheat because it's not cheating it's proprietary information so he can, it was the teacher's fault or I yes was, i was about to ask you you yes. read my mind my question is mr kenny ho in 2020 as a teacher at saint elizabeth school is that cheating or not so i attributed that back to um the instructor in front of the classroom uh, mm. if if you know me as the teacher i have two or three different versions of the same test given on the same day. And the reason why I do it, and I tell, and I say it like it is, I, I tell it publicly to the students too. The, the reason why I give you the different version is not because I want, like, I, I don't trust you with it. It's that I know there are other individuals who sneakily will take advantage of, of the situation. And those that do not have friends in like previous grades or previous thing, they did not get the advantage. So to get the fair even ground every semester i make a new test so it's different than the one that were that were uh what's this year the year before or the semester before and in the classroom itself there were actually two versions so even though you were in my like period one class and you had test period four like you would not have well, got the same i'm question. glad that you've rigged your system to weed out people like yourself <laughs> <laughs> very good point to weed out it is because um, I always believe in fairness and equality for all, right? Or equity for all. Now, and, let me tell you my yes. version of the story. Tell me your version of the and story. And then you tell me what you think of it. So okay, tell one me. of my pet peeves when I was at Brebuff was that there were a few guys who would come up to me and ask me to copy my answers of my labs or my assignment that I'd done the night before, right? These are people who are not my friends. They wouldn't say hi to me in the hall. They would never even look at me. So they weren't blood brothers. They were people who were completely ignored me, <laughs> except they knew I was going to get an A on this assignment, right? And they would copy it, thank you, and then walk away. And that was my interaction with them. And I, I was intimidated by them. I didn't know how to say no. I didn't want to give it to them, right? But you were afraid they'd beat you up after school. <laughs> well, they're bigger than me, right? They got muscles, <laughs> right? So... To this day, that actually is one of my main pet peeves. Like if they had just left me alone, I wouldn't have minded. But, you know, 
why do you like, like the difference between your story and my story is that you were doing this with your buddies, right? And then it's okay to ask for help. So this begs the question, um, did we do that? Uh, on the contrary to your personal experience, we were all, we were a collective. Like we, we looked up for each other. If you needed a homework and I had it, or, you know, if that person had it, we would give it, we would have given it to the person. Like, even though we might get in trouble for doing it. And most of the time it's for homework anyway, like uh, and assignments, we'll be smart enough to paraphrase and whatever. We will actually freely give it to the other person mm -hmm. thinking that we will help the person um, and we would trade. Uh, so what I mean by trade is it's not by monetary or whatever. We would just give it to them. I remember like in uh, OAC, I would have done like a summary page and stuff like that. And then I would like send it to Lawrence or Marcus. So, so the people in my class. And then somewhat, another time, like they would send it to me and we would always help each other out. Unlike, which is the episode for later on, the experience that I had at the university level completely. I mean, completely different, mm. uh, 180 degree difference. Like it's opposite. Like in high school, it was a positive experience. Even, uh, you know, joining sports team like badminton and stuff like that. We were a collective, like we help each other out getting into university. Uh, we like even the weaker students, we help them out. Um, well, to me, I think we helped them. I, I, I don't know about the intentions of the individuals, but we did. And uh, it was not like the ones I had in uh, university, which is kind of interesting and funny to say. Let's uh, let's change gears cool. a little bit and talk a little bit about the academic side of it, because we've been talking about the friend side of it, oh, because okay, that's sure. the main part of high school. But there's also the academic side and how it affected your career journey. So what were your thoughts about your future when you started high school? Had you been formulating any ideas about where this so was all going to go? You have to understand that. Um, at the time, my I, I can't I can't say that I was a scholar like uh, individuals, for example, Marcus, um, Brian, Gordon. Okay, we don't need to name all the scholars. <laughs> uh, and those are really real scholars. I respect them a lot uh, because of their talent. Uh, I was just you know, eighty-ish student. Um, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I think the default for all Asian um, students is at the time, it was either engineering. So if you had 90 students, then you could apply to engineering or then you would have done like life sciences where you know you want to become a doctor. And that, those were the high 80 students, 90 students. And then there was like me, 80s-ish uh, student who I gravitated towards uh, the commerce program at U of T. And it's funny that you say, and we can go on about this because it's a story in itself. I really, at the time, wanted to go to uh, University of Toronto at Scarborough for the co-op program. That program needed, I think, 85 average, like on the dot. And I had 84 point something. So I was a little bit shy of it. But in, in hindsight, I think uh, spiritually, I think it was God guided that uh, if I had gone to that program with the co-op program, I would not have become a teacher because at the time I would have done a lot of internships uh, in business. I, I would have I would have become like an accountant or whatnot in business area, but it wouldn't fit the lifestyle that I truly enjoy today. Let's back it up a bit before this part of getting to university. In the earlier part of the, the show, like in the previous episodes, you talked about how your dad was really big on academics for you. Right? Correct. So when you get to high school and you're not a 90s student, what was your parents 
you know, thinking about it at that point? Were they hard on you? Were they upset? Were they okay with it? Like, what was, what? I what was I think like honestly, if I can speak uh, candidly, uh, you know, me bringing marks in the A's and B's, um, I think my mom would be a little bit disappointed um, at me because they were like A's and B's and C's. There were all <laughs> letters of the alphabet <laughs> rather than one single singular alphabet, right? At A. Mm. So mine were like distributed uh, in many ways, uh, shape and form. And those were, um, had always been my grades in high school. Um, and then university, and then, um, uh, grade 12 and grade 13 OAC year, it was a little bit better, right? Most, some of them were A's or high B's and whatnot. Uh, the pressure, parental pressure was there, um, I have to admit, um, because I was uh, also the uh, older child. And so they were actually, um, I have to say, and I make fun of my mom every time because, because she always says, oh, the, her famous line at the time in high school was, oh, um, if, uh, I was, and I'm speaking in Chinese, uh, um, I don't know if you understood that, but meaning like you would cry because you didn't get into university that you really wanted to because you didn't work hard. So um, at the time, like uh, I always remember that and she um, pushed me a lot to do and she actually spent some money uh, in getting me like a private tutor in mathematics as well as in English writing uh, that, at the time because she was so... Um, or worried that I wouldn't be able to get into a university. And that's why now today I kind of make fun of the situation because, you know, I, I finished uh, probably okay now, I'm doing okay now. <laughs> and, and so we make fun of that, but the parental pressure was there. And part of the immigration um, topic that we talk about is uh, uh, very, very much appreciation to the parents out there who uh, are immigrants who are working like hard. And, um, and she always says like the money that I pay, like she paid, towards the tutor could be, could have been like uh, uh, five bags of groceries for a day, right? Mm. And so, but at the time she also thought um, uh, education and the education of the person is most important um, compared to if you were taking a vacation. And at the time, like her other friends uh, in her circle were going vacation here and there, you know, those bus tour thing that they go mm. like New York or like uh, PEI and whatever. Like we never went to those because uh, part of the money saved up was for myself as well as my brother to to uh, get tutored um, mm. elsewhere. And those trips are not that expensive when you look at it now by right. today's measurements, but that's yes. how careful you guys have to be. Yes, because at the time, uh, I remember paying my, my math tutor uh, like $15 an hour at the time when minimum wage was at the time $6 an hour. So mm. you're paying him doubled. And then the, uh, the another uh, person who tutored me in English probably charged me like $30 an hour. At the time, the going rate was 10. Mm. But uh, they, they, you know, they, they thought education was the most important thing. And I truly appreciate the, the effort that they have um, put towards me, investing in me, I would say. And, you know, that was all worth it. Now, you mentioned being interested in commerce, right? What was it that drew you to it? Because it sounded like from your answer that it was more just everyone in this clique is going towards commerce if your grades are at that level. Like, what was it that was interesting about it? Because Very, very interesting because um, my pathway uh, in career-wise changed over time. So my, as I told you, my, my average got me to Rotman Business. Well, well at this, today's, in today's term, Rotman School of Business. At the time, it was called U of T Commerce. And so I got in as a general entrance uh, for you to get uh, guarantee acceptance. And 
know those people that were praising about guarantee acceptance uh, had 90 and above. So I got into the program. My, my question is, yes, like you don't seem like a dude that's like really into money. <laughs> And commerce seems like it would be for people yes. who are really into money. This seems like a terrible fit, Mr. Kenny Ho. And, and you're absolutely right. So I'm getting to it. Uh, let me tell you the, uh, the brief version of it, because I think some listeners are like, oh, he's oh, still going on with this stuff. So at, at the, at the first, in the first year, um, I stuck with it and I did not enjoy it. I have to say I did not enjoy it. And so like my first year grades were okay. Right. And at the time, I also got a part time job at the bank. Uh, mm-hmm. It was Merrill Lynch before. And my my dad actually got me to hook up to work there for uh, as a summer student. And so it was at that time um, that during that summer internship that, you know, I worked there. I experienced the work. I experienced the um, the uh, corporate culture. Um, and, and knowing that I would sit at a desk every single day doing the same thing over and over again, analyzing this or that, well, at the time it didn't, but I know my superiors did, it was not something I wanted to do. So after first year, no, I got into Rotman, like, um, they took 300 students and then I got in second year, I got stuck with the program, but what really turned was that, and this goes back to an interesting story about Gordon as well. So at the time at, in first year university, I kind of like drove to the station and I, and I um, took the car to the station and I drove back. Well, apparently uh, Gordon's um, like mother also needed like a ride. We were getting off the same time. So he said to me, Kenny, why don't you just drive my mom up back to, um, to uh, Scarborough so that he can catch a ride with you? And I said, sure, right? I'm going home anyway at that time. So it just so happened that every Friday she, she you know, I took her home. And at that point in time, she was a Chinese teacher, uh, a Friday night uh, Chinese teacher. Mm-hmm. And over conversation, she's like, oh, you know, Gordon, like he's so enjoying the Waterloo experience with accounting. Uh, what about you, Kenny? I said, well, you know, I really don't like the stuff. Like I, I'm, I hate it being in the office. I, I don't like it. It's bad. Like, do I enjoy accounting economics? Maybe, but do I want to do it? No, of course not. And then she said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, well, maybe, maybe like I like to, to teach, right? So can I come and see what you do in the classroom? So at the time, like because of the drive, because of the connection, I went to the school and I volunteered at in her class in her classroom. Hmm. And so I enjoyed like, you know, kids and, you know, her putting stuff on the blackboard and she making rules of like um, standing up, uh, lining up and stuff like that. I enjoyed that. So at one point in time, later on in the year, I actually got to teach one of the class in Chinese. Obviously, it was like, uh, like really minor teaching, but I actually got to write on the blackboard. And then also at the time, she, um, she made a connection uh, for me to work at a Saturday school where math, English and all these classes were taught. And so she gave me the connection. And so I went for the interview. It wasn't really an interview, like whatever, right? It was a friend, word of mouth friend, right? So the principal actually hired me and gave me actual classes to teach. So in 1999, in my year one, I actually taught uh, mathematics as well as English at the time. Hmm. So that kind of like made me aware, this is something that I really like to do because every Saturday when they had class, every Friday, I would prep the class. I would make it uh, um, authentic. I would make it enjoyable. I would tell stories about myself. Um, I don't know, like kids kind of enjoyed <laughs> hearing my little stories here and there. Like I kind of enjoyed it and I kind of enjoyed writing on a chalkboard. I remember like buying really expensive, like chalk, dustless chalk and I wrote on the blackboard and I enjoyed it 
like to the max. And then I also enjoy writing on their papers, like their tests and stuff like that. I would, you know, I made the connection like that. And so um, Everest after year th two, after year two, um, I continued my program because it was hard to get in. So I had to finish and I did not, at the time, I did not tell my parents that I was going into Bachelor of Education. I still told them that, you know, I wanted to see a CFA or whatever, like you make them happy, right? And then, but then in the side, in the background, I actually did um, thought about, I did a heavy thought on being a teacher. And so um, I think somehow the, the way was paid for me um, after the, the Saturday school teaching. So after the Friday night teaching, uh, assisting teaching with, um, with Gordon's mother, and then I got my own classes. And then later on, I became like the leader of the uh, children's liturgy, teaching Sunday school at, um, at church. So I became more of that. And then eventually in my year four, like I just took the bare minimum of what was required, like, I don't know, 15 courses of 20 in business. And then all the other ones, I, I took something else because I just wanted to finish. I just want to apply to the program at uh, OISE. Oh, OISE, right? I, I don't know if listeners also know the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. That's like the famous school in uh, a Bachelor of Education school in, in, in Ontario. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get into that. And so I worked my butt off, like getting the high GPA so that I can get into that program. And that's how I ended up as a teacher from a commerce student and a little story too when i graduated from when i was hooded um at the commerce program i went up to the uh, chancellor and then and then uh, you know he asked a question he said oh kenny what do you plan to do in the future i said well chancellor i'm going back to school and then he says what are you doing back in school was i think i think i think i think i have a calling for uh, to be a teacher and he says good for you continue to go on and so <laughs> i did and i so then i excelled at uh, at oise and mm. in 2002, I became a full-time uh, teacher. So you did OISE for how long? So OISE at the time was only one year. Mm. Uh, you got your, so you finished your uh, Bachelor of Commerce, or mm. I did, and then you went straight directly to the program for one year. Mm. And then afterwards, you were licensed in Ontario to teach. Uh, and because I think um, at the time, there was the acceptance rate was very uh, low. Mm -hmm. So they screened you out for whatever. And then when you get in and you excelled and most of us would excel, you would get got your license to teach at a publicly funded high school mm -hmm. at the time, at the time, because the right. license was for uh, intermediate and senior division. Um, and then so if you want to teach elementary school, you have to take another course <laughs> to teach elementary school. That's that's an amazing story. You know, like I, you know, I haven't actually even heard the story in that. Oh, we haven't. Before. No. And and. You know, the most amazing part of it, I think, is the role that this woman, Gordon's mother, plays yes. in this story. Because it sounds like if she doesn't do this, we, you don't we don't know where you are right now. Right. And and I attribute it a lot to I think indirectly, indirectly, I have had like other people who told me that teaching was a calling. Um, mm. because I was so good. Oh, I, I, I can't praise myself. <laughs> I have to be so I was very passionate and, and the way that they saw me, um, you know, interacting with kids, even at uh, when I was an altar server, interacting with kids, it was it was kind of my natural calling for it. Mm -hmm. And at the time, um, commerce was really something that I did not enjoy. And in, in fact, um, I was I wouldn't say bullied but because there wasn't such thing uh, as an adult. But at the time, people were all like my circle of friends at Commerce were all making fun of me um, because they're like, oh, you're not going to you're not part of us. I'm like, 
yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of bad. I'm getting a commerce degree, and then because I never went to these um wine and cheese events, I never kissed up to the uh, recruiters <laughs> out there. I never attended because they always said to me, "Kenny, why don't you go? It's like sixty dollars, so all you can eat like um appetizers, and they give you a drink or so. Why don't you just come like a certain?" I said, "I'm, I'm you know, I, I hate that stuff, right? I don't like mango. I don't want to be fake." Like everyone was, oh yeah, my name is Warver. Yeah, like, this, I'm on the you order. don't sound like you would have fit in. No, in I, no, <laughs> I would, I, I would never, I would never go up and say to the recruiter, oh yeah, let me butt my way through and let me give you my business card. Like I would never do that. Like it, it's not in it in me. Like what I wanted to do at the time was like get through the program. So actually, many of the friends that I or little friends that I made at Commerce, they were all making fun, and they all knew like, oh, this guy, he's just here for the ride. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just here for the ride. I just want to finish the degree. And then I actually made more friends because I was so passionate because I took other courses. I, my other, my other like minor degree, so to speak, it's like geography. So I actually made friends in geography because they were different. They were like, they went to help you out. Commerce, the students in commerce, oh my goodness, they want to kill you. Like it's either me getting a job or you getting a job. So, you know, screw you. I'm not giving you the answer to that, to that uh, flipping question or like that assignment. I'm going to hold it tight to my own. And, but then in, at the uh, geography classes that I was at in my year four, like they were saying, oh, Kenny, you want this? Like, I'll share this with you. This is what I did to do this geographic analysis. I'm like, okay, you have to teach me this stuff because I didn't do geography until like year four. <laughs> so please help me. And, you know, it, you, you have to understand the business world, it's a little bit different than mm. the regular. And it was an eye opener. And in education, um, I have to say at my beginning year, we thought that we are all collaborative uh, teachers. Uh, mm. And I guess a lot of us are. And that's why I kind of fit in into that grouping. And this is going, this ties back and, and, and indirectly ties back to what we were talking before, the grouping. The grouping in any situation is or will become uh, how successful or unsuccessful you you are. Because if you are an outsider, so if you think of a circle, if you're the outside of the circle and you think outside, it will be harder time for you to fit in and excel. If you do excel uh, in the outside circle, then you like you're really good. Mm -hmm. uh, most of us would be a little bit more reserved and staying within the circle. And so those circles that I talked about before uh, in the high school level were the group of friends. And then that circle um, also expanded to my commerce area so that I made some friends, you know, really good friends who knew my passion was not in, in, in commerce. So some of them actually helped me out because it, I didn't like it. Like, you know, marketing, corporate finance, like uh, what is this stuff? Like talking, speaking, you know, so, how does this growth, whatever. I, I did not care. You, you still did not answer the original question. Yes, what is the original question? The original question was, how come you chose commerce to begin with? Was that the original? Which I find interesting because we're getting back to this because I actually do not see how you would have even thought that this would be remotely interesting for you at that time. I, I have to, um, I don't know, maybe my mom and parents will listen to this uh, later on in their lifetime or in, in their, in their uh, spare time. Um, so even in uh, grade 13 at OAC, I kind of had this passion in uh, education there was at the time concurrent program. So concurrent program is you earn your degree in something and then you earn an extra degree um, for being the fifth year to earn two degrees in the program. The only school that offered the concurrent program was that Queens, uh, Queens uh, Education offered that program at the time. So because Queens Commerce also needed a high mark. So indirectly, I didn't have that 90 plus average to get into mm. that program, nor did, was there anything else to resort to. So it's the process of elimination. So 
the marks weren't good enough for uh, engineering uh, that some friends went. It wasn't good enough for like Waterloo accounting. It wasn't good enough for life sciences because I wasn't really that great in, in science studies. So it's a process of elimination. What else would you do? So you wouldn't do geography. Like if I told my mom I was going to geography, like I would, <laughs> it would be like, what are, what are you doing? Why are you going to school? So the only other program that uh, Norm would have um, gone to would be uh, U of T or Ryerson. Uh, Ryerson wasn't university at the time, I don't think, or York, right? for the business program, economics program. And so the next best thing as a prestigious program at the time was um, Rotman School of Business now mm -hmm. or UFT Commerce because of the, of the 1500 students that got in the first year, of the like thousands that got in to the first year, those were 15, 1500 students. Of the 1500 students in the first year, uh, 150 of them would have got guaranteed admissions to the mm -hmm. second year program, but then only 150 students would have uh, battled it out. So <laughs> I battled it out and I, uh, I, I persevered and I made it to that 150. So it was then at the time that I didn't reveal it to my mom and dad that, you know, teaching was something that was inert. Um, I continue to um, continue and, you know, uh, I always joke with them. Like I satisfy the degree for you. But in hindsight, if you think about it, in hindsight, um, I think it has to do with uh, spirituality in this one too. Like God paved the way for me because how could I become a business teacher now and teach the core subjects that I have learned in my degree? So mm -hmm. now I teach economics and accounting. So not a lot of, uh, I guess, teachers out there who are business would teach those hardcore uh, topics as they say, right? Because they're really like you have to be trained and you have to get enough in university to do so. And so that kind of like weaved its way into my life. And that's how come I sometimes I'm so appreciative of the life that has brought onto me, mm -hmm. the pathway, the pathway that has brought. Yeah, because I guess I was going to ask you if you could go back and do it over again, would you do it the same way? Like, is there anything you would have changed? Like, go I to think, teacher's I college think, right away? But I think you answered that already. Yeah, I don't think I would because I think sometimes it's a calling that um, by having the training or God gave me the training, the, the, the expectation to finish your stupid like uh, BCom degree because then you need to be trained to be able to teach these great talk students, accounting, economics, and stuff like that. So mm. stick with it, learn from it. And then like, you know, when you graduate from it, I will pay for your job to get you. In fact, in my first year, my first job was like an ideal job for any beginning teacher. And that job was teaching senior level accounting and economics. I got that job, luckily, like on the last week of August, like I was waiting, you know, like it was a lot of schools offering me like elementary school, grade eights and grade mm -hmm. fours and grade ones. I didn't take any of those, but uh, like, I was like, kind of like, uh, my pants at the last week because I didn't have a placement. Everybody else has had the placement. Um, so the last offer in the last week of, um, August was at St. Elizabeth Catholic high school. It was a job that was left by the former head of department uh, in business, which I have her role now, but 20 years ago, it was her role and uh, she became VP. So she, her schedule was given to me and all the department heads as the norm would be, would be to teach all the senior courses. So mm -hmm. she taught OAC accounting, OAC economics, OAC leadership, and that's it. So all senior. And so like to a beginning teacher, that would have been like a job that you wouldn't have gotten unless you had 10 years of experience in the job. So in my first year, I already got the job. It was mm -hmm. a mutual benefit because she always, 
the the prince the prince the vice principal at the time, who, who was the former department head who would have taught the course, said to me, you know, Kenny, it was a good find because we couldn't find anyone who had a BCom background to teach these courses. So you <laughs> came right away, and I could see like in the interview, like I said, oh, I went to commerce, I did like accounting, economics, and stuff like that. Their eyes just lit up. So even without getting the interview, like I could see the eyes lit up. Even without doing the interview, I could say, okay, I got my job. Whatever, whatever stupid thing I said, it was okay. So I got the recall right away the day after. Like the, the person was like begging me, please don't take any job anymore. Don't, please don't go to interviews anymore because I think we have a offer for you. But because of the, like the timing, like they indirectly called me and says, please don't take the job elsewhere, please. And so like, it was a blessing for me at the time. Right, and you've uh, been there 20 years since. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, 20, yeah, uh, eight, 18. Yeah. yeah, 2002, yeah, almost 18. And th this was my only uh, place of employment. And um, I have over ever since, uh, I guess, grew a lot in the way <laughs> I practice, uh, in, the, in the approach of um, curriculum, in the instructional strategies, in whatever that I did. And so you can see a little bit of my passion in education because I think indirectly it was a calling. It was yeah, truly it, a calling. I think listening to you tell the story, you know, you really ended up where you needed to be and it was going to happen one way or the other. And this is how it happened. And sometimes when I, when you look at, and when I educate kids um, that, you know, they have no pathway to go to, and I always tell them my story and this very story and it is like a hundred percent true because this was my authentic experience uh it would be something that you know they don't get discouraged for and i and i quote from um antonio santo again the religion teacher at Rebuff. <laughs> he said to the class one time i still remember it he said you know the life reveals to you at a later time it's like a deck of cards it's already set God said it. I think it was teaching religion or something like that. So God <laughs> set the cards already. As you age, one by one, it unfolds. Mm. So whatever destiny that you had with him, I mean God, it's already been done. So all you have to do is to kind of follow your heart, right? If there's something that, you know, indirectly it wasn't meant for you to do, then, you know, you shouldn't do it. But if you just follow, like take every opportunity with an open eye, like welcome arm, uh, open arms and stuff like that, um, you know, try every opportunity because none of all these opportunities that are given to you, even if it's a failure of an opportunity, it was meant to teach you something. Mm -hmm. And so those in the in terms of career path, like as it reveals to me, because back to the original point, there, there was a reason why I did not get into the U of T uh, UTSC in Scarborough. Right. If mm -hmm. I got into that UTSC in Scarborough, I wouldn't be at this place now. I would probably maybe be miserable. Or this would be have been my second career change of a job because I would have hated the corporate culture so much that you know, screw this, I'm gonna go back to teachers college and do the things that I love to do. Well, it's definitely it has been a very inspiring experience to listen to your story. On behalf of our audience, I want to take thank you for taking the time to tell it to us. Oh, I you know what uh, this podcast has been a real um, I think blessing to me because. Uh, for me, it's another avenue to get my story across to out there, even if students have, like my current students or, or former students who have graduated have an opportunity to do so, they can always listen to this. Thank you very much, Kenny. Thank you. All I'll right. see you then. Take care. Bye. All right. Well, that's the end of season one of Unique Stories. 
The season ends here on episode eight. Originally, I had thought about having a couple more episodes. I had a couple of other ideas that I was playing with. But after hearing Kenny's story, I decided this was going to be a good place to leave and finish the season. And I thought, you know what? Eight episodes is good enough for a season. I mean, I grew up in the time period where you would get 25 episodes of ER to make up a television season. And then television turned into The Sopranos and you could finish a full season in 13 episodes. And now with The Mandalorian, really eight episodes is enough to call it a season in this day and age. So, you know, we can thank The Mandalorian, but this episode of Unique Stories will mark the end of season one. I just wanted to take a moment to thank the audience, thank all the people out there who've listened to the stories. I've actually been looking at the statistics and I've been tickled that, you know, we've got a fair number of listeners. I didn't know how many people out there were going to be interested in this little pet project of mine, but I've been pleasantly surprised to find that people are tuning in. They're listening to the entire episode sometimes and they're finding the guests entertaining. I hope that you guys have found the episodes enjoyable and that you've learned something And I'd also like to take a moment to thank the guests. It's been a really nice getting to know the guests better. I mean, most of them, as you've heard, are people that I know. But I found out something new about all of them through each of these episodes and discussions that I've done. So that, too, has been a real blessing. Going forward, I had thought about what to do with unique stories. There was a part of me that, you know, was honestly getting pretty tired of, you know, coming up with ideas, doing interviews, editing, and doing all this on top of all the other stuff I'm doing. But a couple months ago, Lukey and I came up with an idea for season two of Unique Stories. It's going to be a bit of a different season than season one. We're not going to be just talking about people, about their stories, about coming to Canada and immigrating. It's going to be a little bit more focused on some specific stuff that I think you guys are going to enjoy. So stick around, come back in a few months, and I'll see you in season two of Unique Stories. All right, check you later.